Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. It's that time again, and we're here for your favourite show on Cradio, Question and Answer with Bishop Julian Porteous. And I have Jovina Graham. Hello. And myself, Jeremy Ambrose. And today we're going to talk about a topic that really strikes close to the heart of the Catholic Church, and that's faith and reason. Pope John Paul II described faith and reason as being two wings of the same eagle, and they both together soar. And Pope Benedict often speaks about the importance of this interaction between faith and reason. So, Bishop, can you tell us why does he insist on this and why does the church often bring this up and talk very strongly about it? Yes, it's clearly something that is very much on the, in, the, in the center of the, the teaching of Pope Benedict. And as you, as you said, it's something which you, we find taken up uh, also in the writings of uh, Pope John Paul II. I think the principal reason why this issue has uh, such prominence at the present moment in the church is because of the, the times in which we live. We're living at a time where there has been a growth in a whole attitude of, of secularism, where, where people have been pursuing things and living their life just purely on the external level, and, and in, that, in, in this instance, just operating their minds purely from the point of view of the exercise of human reason uh, as 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 they s- seek to address questions so when when you look at anything any any a moral issue when you look at the nature of human life when you look at that questions about history and culture people will just tend to say i will just bring my own reason to bear i'll just think about it in terms of my own understanding the way i see things this is if you like the growth of a secular view of reality. So, so people will just approach questions purely on the basis of their own capacity, their native capacity in terms of their of their human reason to make sense of things, to make judgments about what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, and so on. At the same time, people who adopt that attitude have tended to see that faith is more like a curiosity, a superstition, a little bit benighted. You know, these, this is the old way of seeing things. And, and it, we can find people being very critical. People of faith are not really reasonable in that sense. They're unreasonable because they're just letting their faith perceptions uh, determine what they believe and how they see things. So this kind of mentality has separated faith and reason and, and, and really relegated faith to something which is very much at the level of superstition and somebody who has faith you can't accept, expect them to be reasonable about about things so i think that's the background if you like to why pope john paul and and now pope benedict have very much wanted to say no that's not the case faith and reason are the two wings faith and reason are necessary we, we need both we do need what faith brings, and we also need to exercise our reason. And the two need to work together. It's vital, actually, that they work together. So I think a phrase 
that Pope Benedict um, iterates quite often is the hermeneutic of faith. Can you tell us a bit more about this, Bishop? It's a concept that uh, that Pope Benedict has used in a number of occasions. I'm aware of it, uh, particularly he refers to it in his introduction to his, to his great work on the on Jesus of Nazareth. He talks about the hermeneutic of faith there because he, he, he particularly in that book wants to address the question of how do we approach the scriptures and particularly how do we approach the scriptures description of, of Jesus Christ and one question here of course is that there's been a lot of development in um, textual criticism in, in analysis of how particular religious texts came about the authorship and and different influences on the authors and, and so on and Pope was aware that there was a danger here in in this whole approach to scriptures that somehow we would reduce down the scriptures to human documents alone that we would just say this gospel is written by St Matthew and St Matthew had these attitudes that St Matthew came out of this particular cultural background and maybe even say look there are certain things here that were maybe more composed by St Matthew than, than actually were composed by Jesus himself and so on. So there could be a whole process by which the, the scriptures are reduced down just to human documents alone. And if you like that's the exercise of, of reason, of analytical thought um, without taking into account the dimension of faith. What Pope Benedict wants to talk about is we, we also need to preserve what he calls the hermeneutic of faith. Now, the hermeneutic is a, <laughs> a difficult word to, to explain <laughs> easily and simply, but the whole idea of this, if you like, the science of hermeneutics is the science of interpretation. In other words, how do we go about interpreting something? As you know, any anything that we read we will immediately interpret it. We'll immediately be thinking, what is the author getting at? Or what information did the author have available uh, to him or her in making that particular statement? Uh, we know from our whole approach to education that we exercise a whole exercise of analysis over things. Now that's good and that has its place. However, the scriptures cannot just be reduced to human documents alone. And to do that robs the scriptures of being for us a source of nourishment and inspiration to our faith. So the Pope is saying we also need to bring a faith dimension into our interpretation of the scriptures. And I think the very beginning point is to say the scriptures are not just human documents, but they are inspired by God. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. The author in writing the scriptures was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, it, and indeed, when we bring a spirit of faith to our interpretation of scriptures, we actually find that the scriptures reveal dimensions to us. They, they speak, ultimately speak to our soul and, and, and nourish our faith. So we, we come at the scriptures not just in the intention of interpretation by analysis, but we actually come to the scriptures with a say to say, these are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I want to receive from the word of God something that is going to nourish and inspire my faith. So the, the Pope is basically saying we need to complement the whole approach to, if you like, a scientific analysis of the scriptures with 
a whole approach to scriptures inspired by our faith. I want to listen to the word of God. I want to let God speak to me. I want God to reveal his truth. I want God to enlighten my mind through scriptures. And, and basically when we take that approach, that's what happens because we open our minds to, to the action of the Holy Spirit in uh, revealed to us and, and acting through the scriptures. So would you say this was one of the main reasons why the Pope wrote his great work, Jesus of Nazareth, to bring back that balance of, of faith and reason? It's clearly what he had in mind. Why would a Pope who has quite a few other things to, to concentrate on uh, and many other issues before him, why has he put so much time and effort into writing what really is a great work, Jesus of Nazareth? It's clearly the culmination of a whole lifetime of, of teaching, of study, of writing, and of course of prayer and, and spiritual reflection. It, it really is, um, I, I think, the great work that is bringing together all of the faith and life and ministry of Pope Benedict. And it's all focused on Jesus of Nazareth. One of the things that uh, is very clear and, and the Pope mentions this in the introduction to his se the second volume of Jesus of Nazareth. He, he speaks about the fact that he hopes this book will enable people to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. Not just know him as a person of history, not just know facts and information about him, but discover the living Jesus, to discover the, the, the Lord who is the Son of God, who is a revelation of God to us, who is a source of, of giving us life and salvation. So his whole hope is that uh, Jesus of Nazareth would enable people to really come to know and love and enter into a deeper personal living relationship with Jesus. That's really what lies at the heart and the inspiration to this, this, this book. And it, I think it just clearly indicates that um, for Pope Benedict, in the end, Christianity, if you like, hangs on one central reality, Jesus Christ, revelation of the Father, source of salvation, and entering into a relationship with him will enable us to know God and enable us to come under the saving work of Christ accomplished ultimately by his death and resurrection. That's why I think he's writing this great work of his, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so with all this in mind, Bishop, if you were to encounter a person, as we so often do in our in our world these days, who says, you know, I, I can't really believe in God because I'm a person of reason and it, and it just doesn't add up to me. What what would you say to that person? I, I think I, I've often come across this, this situation and uh, I suppose for my, myself, my immediate response would be to say, where, where is the center of your being? Is it your head or your heart? What, what ultimately inspires your life? I think it's not just the way I think, I perceive things, I approach things. But ultimately, I, I think it's within the human heart there is this searching, this quest for meaning, for value, and ultimately, I think every human heart has a quest for eternity. I, I, I don't think while somebody can, can rationally say, I don't think there's anything after, after death, I think this is it, this is all there is. I think something in the heart cries out, 
no, there isn't. There's got to be something more. I, I think um, when when people um, talk, particularly when people just seem to have a very rational approach to things, I like to explore the other dimension to them. I said, like, do you love do you love music? Uh, music, in one sense, reveals there's a dimension to ourselves. Do you love? Do you attracted to beauty? Is there, is there something? in your life where you're seeking you're seeking greater values than those things that are immediately physical and obvious and and things that can be rationally grasped uh, that's my basic belief i think every human being because we have a soul has a deep yearning and i think if we can touch that yearning if move people away from just exercising rationality alone because I don't think we can just see the human beings are not just rational beings we can't just limit uh, the nature of our humanity to that level alone there's another dimension and I think if we can touch that then um, then we can have a chance of people looking uh, at the, the fuller picture and I think that happens you know when people meet tragedy in their life or or something happens whereby they have to stop and think they, they actually that stopping caused them to go a little deeper beyond their rationality to look at deeper questions. And I think that's where they can ultimately find things of the spirit that will actually nourish them in terms of faith and, and, and a seeking for a relationship with God. Thank you once again, Bishop Julian, for more illuminating answers. And I'm sure all of our listeners are going to walk away faith-filled and reasonable people. Thank you. There are a lot of um, customs that we we have, yeah, and, and um, often it's hard to understand how these customs came about. For instance, it's a custom to uh, have Easter eggs on on Easter Sunday, and maybe you, like I, was wondering what's the relationship between eggs, which are now chocolate, of course, um, but eggs and Easter. It's probably hard to make a connection see one of the things was that in medieval times according to um, to our customs during Lent Lent was a lot stricter in its um, uh, its disciplines than it it is today and so for instance during Lent people would not eat any eggs because they were seen as close to, to meat so they, they wouldn't eat eggs right through um, through the Lenten season. And so one of the things you look forward to, of course, at the end of any any time of, um, of going without something, is as soon as you're allowed to, you like to have that thing that you've denied yourself for 40 days. And, uh, and so the idea of, oh, we can have an egg on Easter Sunday was, <laughs> was seen as a, a great thing. And, uh, and, and so it, the first eggs that um, that could be consumed after Lent could be consumed could could be consumed on Easter Sunday, and um, so that's where eggs came. But I, I was also the idea with eggs was that uh, as you know, when an egg is broken, you get you you get the um, the yolk and uh, which is what you want to eat, and that's what that's what nourishes you. So part of the idea too was that uh, just as the Lord 
broke out of the tomb on Easter Sunday alive. So you have to break an egg in order to, to receive what's in it. So the egg also had the idea of, of the new life of Easter as well. So that's Easter eggs. So I know they're now chocolate, but originally they, uh, they were just ordinary eggs. Well, I'm grateful they're chocolate now. Yeah, I'm not complaining. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit credio.org.au.